Pixel Sift is proudly supported by Murdoch University School of Arts. Do you want to learn to make your own Twitch channel or podcast and outclass the competition? Well, the skills you learn in a creative degree in games, sound, film, or journalism will put you in a class of your own. Have a look at murdoch.edu.au slash arts to learn more about what they've got on offer. That's murdoch.edu.au slash arts. Or you can search Murdoch University for more information. Murdoch University School of Arts, proudly supporting Pixel Sift. Pixel Sift. Yes, yes, hello and welcome to Pixel Sift, the show to get dedicated to indie games from around Australia and the world. My name is Scott and joining me tonight is my co-host Gianni. How are we, sir? I am fantastic, sir. How are you? <laughs> Very well. Uh, tonight our guest is Thomas Jansen. He's here to tell us all about his new game, Death Hall. Thanks for joining us, Thomas. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here. Absolute pleasure. Excited. Uh, but first off, Gianni, what else are we talking? taking a look at be- today? Yeah, we're going to be looking at the wish listing. I have a lot of wish lists, um, but in particular, we're talking about Steam wish listing um, and what impact that has on uh, developers and what impact that has on on players as well. Fantastic. Let's jump into it. Let's do it. You're listening to Pixelsift, or you might be watching Pixelsift on Twitch. Pixelsift. Scott, do you have Steam wishlist? Uh, look, I don't really use it. Um, I actually completely forgot that I'd used it at all until very recently. Uh, I have only wishlist one game, and that was Player Unknown Battleground. Uh, and I did pick it up when it was on sale, but I forgot about it because I stopped playing it pretty quickly because I was a bit unimpressed. All right. Well, you know, you're not the poster boy for wishlists, obviously. No, um, no, I'm not. Well, the reason why we're talking about wishlists today, because there is a bit of a tricky relationship um, according to... Uh, to Ross Manthorpe, who is from uh, Game Maker. Uh, he says that the uh, wish list is actually quite uh, often used as a discoverability tool, and that's the reason why developers always ask you. They say, hey, if you like the game, it's on Steam, give it a wish list. Um, and he said that that is part of the reason why that it is kind of encouraged, and it's why a lot of people do have a lot of things on their wish list. A lot of people do use wish lists as their way to find deals or to find sales as well. Um, so it's something that's helpful for the players, but it's also really helpful for developers. Tom, I'm curious, do you have a wish list on Steam or a digital platform that you use? What do you think of them? Absolutely. Um, I use Steam all the time and I think I have about 40 to 50 games on my wish list, just there ready to go. Uh, I kind of use it as a, a way um, to remember what games I want and if anything goes on sale um, and I feel particularly generous, um, I'll just buy it because I, n- I know that I want that game. So it's it's an awesome tool for me personally. Yeah. Do you feel like you're you're moving it from your wish list and then moving it into your like oh, library yeah. and then <laughs> never play yeah. the game at all? <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. possibly sometimes. Um, uh, I have a backlog of about three games. Um, so I'm not a not a three, that's pretty backlog. good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty um uh when I when I buy a game, um I usually wait a very long time um until until you know reviews come out, user reviews come out, I can learn a bit more about the game. I'm not sort of a, a first day release kind of kind of gamer. Um I'll wait for a while. 
So if I buy something, I really know that I want to play it and I'll go ahead and, and just beat it within a week generally, um, just play it to death. So I can 100% relate with that actually. Um, you know, it, I'll only wishlist a game that I don't want to, that I already haven't decided that I really want to play like right now. I'll kind of wishlist it because yeah. maybe I can't afford it right now or, you know, I just want to kind of save it that I might I might buy it later, but I'm not very good at wishlists because um, I ignore the notifications. <laughs> yeah. And if you've bought like uh, a few games already that month and you don't want to buy anything else because, you know, that's going to blow yeah, the budget exactly. or because gaming is an expensive hobby, sure. um, wishlisting for me is a, a great way to, yeah, remember what I want. It's all there, easily accessible. Um, so, yeah, I use it a lot. It, it's really interesting um, in this article uh, by Ross Manthorpe, uh, on, you can read it on gameindustry.biz and you'll be able to find a link to it in the show notes of this podcast as well. Um, he speaks to a number of different developers um, and one of them is David Galindo of Vertigo Gaming, who are the developers of Cook Serve Delicious series. Um, and David says, the moment you release info about your next game, you should 100% absolutely have a Steam page ready to go. There's no excuse not to and it's just plain bad strategy to miss out on those potential wish list um tom you're a developer and you're making a game at the moment uh which has come out uh for ios How, is there an equivalent for this on on the app stores as well um i think uh definitely on every platform um there there will be differences in the the lead up and the strategy for for marketing and getting the word um of the game's release out there um but the importance of it of doing that and going through that process months uh, months before the game's release, you know, there's, a, there's always a long lead up to a game release, no matter how big or small it is. Uh, the importance of that is the same for every platform. Um, so releasing a mobile game, your target audience might be different. The websites and forums that you go to to drum up support and interest in the game might be different. Uh, but that process is still super important um, for sure. And uh, I think the App Store, it must have been a couple of years ago, the App Store... Um, I'm not sure about Google Play but because I, I haven't developed for Android before, but I know that for sure uh, on the Apple App Store um, a while ago, they started their pre-order system. So um, it's effectively wishlisting, um, except you know they, the, the users will um, set, uh, basically submit that they want to buy the game as soon as it comes out. Um, so it's similar but, but different. It's um, interesting, the, um, the pre-ordering on, on iPhone and app stores like that, because usually you pre-order something because you think it's going to run out, which it absolutely can't do in a digital storefront. It's, there's yeah. a hundred <laughs> infinite copies, you know, yeah. there's, there's no way that you could ever do that. But it's interesting that you kind of get that first little push of information. And I actually have uh, uh, pre-ordered a few games um, that have come out. On, I remember Paperbark and Florence were two games that I uh, actually uh, pre-ordered on the uh, on the store because I wanted to get it as soon as it come out. So, mm. And I knew yeah. I was going to buy it. So I was like, yeah, well. There we go. Yep. Give them a couple of bucks now. Why not? Yeah, and it really only costs a few bucks. It's a lot easier to pre-order something like that than it is uh, than a $15, $20, $30 game on Steam. It's a lot easier to click the, the pre-order button for sure. Um, part of that same article um, on from Ross Manthorpe, there's a quote from Seth Costa of Butterscotch Shenanigans who kind of espouses the same as David uh saying discoverability is the number one driver of adding a game to a wish list. Uh, without that, uh, nothing else matters. Because, you know, if people can't find the game or if people aren't reminded about the game, which is what I love about the notification idea, I love the idea of the of the um, wish list. Like I said, I just, I'm not good at it. 
Um, Seth in that article actually goes to expand on that a little bit more, saying that like there's a slightly larger fraction of people who'll be interested in the game, but perhaps they're too busy and they don't want to spend any money right now or they're currently in some other game, so they don't buy it, they just wishlist it. And that second group of people is inherently larger than the first group. Uh, so anytime your game gains that visibility through sale, through featuring or through some influencer, your sales pop up and your wish lists pop up even more. But the key driver of all of this is visibility. Um, now, we were have been asking people on on Twitter and on Twitch and on Discord uh, about why uh, people, dis, uh, what they wish list and what was the last games that they uh, put on their wish list that they purchased. Um, Lucas uh, Jintuki on Discord says, I love wish listing game. The last time I bought a game from my wish list was today. Uh, I pre-ordered <laughs> Shadowkeep and I wish list games is more of a way to remind me of what games I'm interested in rather than anyone buying me a game. Um, wish on Discord says, I've never really had a wish list, but the closest game that was on my wish list uh, was Overwatch. I saw the cinematic for the Overwatch and uh, for Overwatch, and I thought it was a movie. Then I realized it was a game. Instantly wanted it. Found it out it was set to release in like two weeks, and then I bought it. So there you go. Um, there was also a bit of controversy recently because there was one of these like the sale function of a wish list is a huge factor for a lot of people. People wait so that they can pick up a, a Steam uh, sale and they have these things on their wish list knowing that they do like the game, they want to play it when it comes out, but maybe they can't afford to buy it at the full price or maybe they're playing something else at the moment. But um, there was one of the recent summer sales that just came out. There was a part of the promotion, maybe the the, the wording of the promotion was slightly uh, incorrect. Um, it basically uh, had a deal where you could get free games from your Steam wish list. So what it was supposed to do was you were supposed to reshuffle your wish list to say, um, we want, I want the top three games, the top five games, top 10 games, or whatever it was, um, I, you put them at the top of your list. But what had actually happened was people thought the reason to, what you had to do was effectively clear out your wish list. Um, and so a lot of indie games uh, got deleted off their wish lists because um, they inherently weren't a huge value game. Most of them were pretty cheap. So people were putting really high AAA expensive mm. titles on there to kind of maximize their chances of winning something really good. Uh, on the Steam sale, um, and there were lots of people who got really badly, <laughs> badly hurt by that. Mm. Um, uh, you know, including uh, the developer of uh, Wildfire, uh, who put on a big thing saying that was a massive drop in the number of people wishlisting the game and just dropped to nothing. And it wasn't until like there was a social media campaign um, to kind of come back from that uh, that they were able to sort of to, to build those numbers back up again. But yeah, for people who didn't sort of realize that the wishlists had been hammered by this p- penalty, it was like a, a real challenging sort of situation. Thanks for watching Pixel Sift, your indie game interview podcast live on Twitch. If you've just tuned in, we're talking about Steam wish lists and their relationship to actual sales. Um, that was a really interesting point you made there, Gianni, about that the summer sales. Uh, you know, the effect that something like that, a poorly worded uh, marketing campaign by Steam, can really damage the, the bottom line and and the future prospects of indie developers who arguably that kind of thing matters the most to them, really, because. They're not big yeah, companies. Yeah, well, it was really tricky because this is the thing. If they don't have a huge marketing um, budget, no. um, Daniel Hines was the person who uh, actually noticed this particular function, yeah. uh, the developer, one of the developers of um, Wildfire. But yeah, like that's it. If, if you're an indie team and you're one person or two people, um, you need to do everything you can to try and maximize the amount of eyes that you can get in front of your game. Yeah, and if and people don't- start purging you from their wish lists en masse because, you know, of a badly worded campaign, it's kind of, it's pretty frustrating. And Steam did fix it, so, well, they made an attempt to fix it by sending out, you know, tweets and making up new pictures and whatever, but they didn't update everything that they'd already done. 
Uh, and so they kind of they could have done better there, I think. Yeah, in an in an article that was on GameIndustry.biz, um, Kitsune Games founder Emma Masson um, shared her wish list action, actions graph, which is basically sort of like statistics. You can see how your game is performing on Steam. Um, it says it, it goes anyway during that sort of situation. It goes anyway in the case that people are confused. Valve's stupid little mini game can get people off a game off their wish list for free, but because people think it's random, they're delisting small indie games from their wish lists on mass. That does make wish sense. Lists are vital to performance on Steam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we asked a few more people online uh, to see what they thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Aaron on Facebook uh, on the Pixel Sith Facebook says. Um, Steam has had uh, the fractured but whole uh, mm. 90% off. So I snapped it up. It was on my wish list for a few months now. But the great thing about it is that you can see it. But if you're in a, uh, you see a game you want, but you're not in a rush to play it, you wish list it and you can wait for the sale alert to come through. Um, Alex on the Pixel Sift Facebook says, I don't wish list games because I mostly play on console. I'd love for Sony to add the functionality to let me know which games I have wish listed are on sale. Um, Tom, what do you think? What would be the best way for wish lists to be improved in your? either from a developer's perspective or from someone who plays games? Uh, not uh, badly worded campaigns like that. I think uh, I remember reading <laughs> about that. That's uh, For an indie developer, that would just be devastating to yeah. find that out. Like the storefront that you've put your game up, it's such an important part of uh, release and pre-release. Um, and for that storefront to then uh, do something like that, it could have, could have, been, could have been handled a lot better. Um, but uh, to, to improve wish lists, that's a tricky question because I think... Um, like as a gamer, for me, uh, it is such a great tool to um, not discover games, but to just to, to have a list there that I know that maybe one day I will purchase. And I know I've probably purchased maybe 15, 15 to 20 games over the past few years that I've had on my wish list. Um, so I'm not sure how, how you could improve it unless there was some sort of... Um, I mean, there's already an emailing system. Steam can already send you automatic uh, notifications through your email. Um, if uh, a game goes on sale, uh, that's another really good tool. Um, I don't know. Yeah. My, my, like that, that's probably the limit of my marketing expertise, <laughs> sending you an email when something goes on sale. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, um, uh, yeah. We might uh, go for a few more um, uh, comments from people. Um, so the Game Heart on Instagram says uh, there was just a Devolver digital sale and I grabbed up a couple of things off my wish list, including my friend Pedro and Gris. Awesome. Um, and Ca- Castle Black Studio on Instagram says, I've been wanting to get Mario Party for the Switch for our studio for such a long time. We got it last month and it's the best game for office parties. Um, Scott, what do you know anything? Any li- I mean, other than PUBG, have you ever got anything else off your wish list? Not really. Um, and I, I have a pretty un- good reason for it. It's because I I humble bundle monthly um, and get all sorts of stuff through there. Um, so I think that's kind of ruined my interaction with the um, Steam storefront a bit. Uh, I kind of just put it on like autopilot and like ex- and you know figure I'll get a bunch yeah. of good games and I'll check them out and eventually I'll get the games that I'm looking for. Which, to be honest. Has has been true uh, up until now. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's obviously it, it's there's only one way to do it, but there's plenty of way to play games, and you can be playing them on mobile, you can be playing them on Steam, you can get them on Humble or wherever you want. That's so, yeah, it. It's, it's interesting, and it, I think the the one thing to sort of take away from it is that if you do like a game and you like the uh, small developer um, who is making an interesting game, and there is an opportunity to give them a wish list on uh, on Steam, do, do it, it out, do it yeah. for them because it, it makes really a big difference. Um, yeah. So There's one thing to take away you, from that, yeah. It's that. It's a, it's a good way you can help Absolutely. them out. Absolutely. 
All right, shall we jump into our next topic? Yes, we should definitely shall. Visit us on pixelsift.com.au. Yes, tonight we're talking to Thomas Jansen about his latest game, Death Hall. It's been described as an action platformer with an awesome upgrade system. So, Thomas, if that doesn't paint enough of a picture for our viewers, uh, in your words, what's Death Hall all about? Uh, Death Hall is a high skill ceiling challenging uh, platforming game on iOS right now. Uh, and it challenges the player to traverse um, a series of trap-laden, enemy-laden stages of the underground layer of a giant blob monster as it chases you nonstop. Um, so it's very fast-paced. Uh, you only have a limited number of lives and everything is trying to kill you. It's basically the game in a nutshell. Um, and it also culminates in a, a large boss battle where uh, the blob monster will reach its final form, um, oh. which is, that would be spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to explain. Um, yeah, so it was a three-year project uh, in all to work, in, to work on in my spare time. Um, and it was a very fun pro- project. Um, I'm super excited to be showing it at PAX Australia this year. Yeah, well, selected for the indie showcase, that must be a huge thing for you. How does that feel? It's a huge honor. Um, to and not the first time you've been selected showcase. either. No, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. I, I I submitted Death Hall earlier this year, not thinking anything would happen, that they would notice, hey, that's the same name that we saw a few years ago. <laughs> but in 2014, uh, it was the second PAX um, in Australia. And I submitted a game, another iOS game that I'd made at the time called Wave Wave, which is another super challenging game in the vein of Super Hexagon. Um, and that got selected for the showcase as well, the indie showcase. Um, and I was privileged enough to show it there too. So I am familiar with the process, uh, which means I'm freaking out <laughs> about the show <laughs> just as much as I was then. Um, but so excited to be showing showing people the game because showing, showing a game that you've um, spent so much time crafting and building um, at a show that is so positive and is so uh, heavily focused on gamers and developers coming together um, and talking about the games that developers have made, um, you get a really positive reception from everyone that plays the game. There's not really a lot of criticism or negativity there. So it's a good so space to be really in. Really exciting. Yeah. Hey, um, you mostly made this game by yourself. Is that right? Uh, yes, except for the music. Um, so, I work with an amazing musician, but all the, the animation, the visuals, programming, um, that was me. Um, so what is it like showing off your game like that by yourself? Because it's hard enough for people who are in big teams to do that. How, how do you manage mm-hmm. that at a, at a show like PAX? Um, yeah, good question. Uh, I'm still trying <laughs> to figure it out. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, in, in 2014, I had uh, a friend um, who was a, also a big gamer. Um, and he had played the game. He knew what it was all about. He'd been to PAX before. Um, and we actually both worked in retail together. So we were good at talking to people and uh, retail was where we first met. Um, so it was very natural for him to come and come and help me out for the full three days. And um, I was super lucky to have an extra person there. Um, my musician, Gareth, um, is he is based in Melbourne. So it's convenient for him to come to the show and help me out this year. Um, he's offered to help, which is great. but. You know, I don't want to pressure him into being there all the time. Um, he, he can go around and look at different things and play games and things. But, um, yeah, I'll definitely have 10 water bottles off to the side, uh, muesli bars, <laughs> you know, maybe a bucket for, you know, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> um, but uh, it should be okay. It should be okay if I can duck away to grab something to eat. or I think it would be very to, fun. Yeah, yeah to, should be to okay. Check out. It's, it's an intense weekend. But it I is, think yes. It's, uh, it is. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Thomas, working by yourself, and uh, you know, not having a team to kind of bounce ideas off and uh, and to get things running with, uh, where does the inspiration for a game like this come from? Um, yeah, making games as a solo developer is a, a huge problem um, for me. I'm more of a high, highly focused on details kind of artist. Um, game design is a mix of details and broad scope. So the way my brain works, it's it's very focused on details and creative details. So I actually find game design quite hard to do on my own. Um, getting feedback uh, and starting that feedback loop very early in a game's development um, has always been a huge issue. I would usually make games um, and construct and prototype the base game uh, with core gameplay um, very quickly. But then that would be dev difficulty. Uh, with every game I've ever made, I've started with dev difficulty, which means I can pass the first level, but nobody else can in the world. I'm the only person that can beat the first because <laughs> everything's just way too hard and I haven't thought about what makes the game fun for players. Um, and it's, it's taken a long time to, to kind of learn what design means. And design means to adapt and learn to what people want, to what the experience is that they want. Um, so the feedback loop is probably the most important, I think, as a, uh, an indie dev that's programming and, you know, doing all of the art on their own, or even if it's two people, um, the feedback loop is super important. Getting friends and getting family some, sometimes isn't enough to get feedback from them because you know what they'll say. They'll say, oh, it's great. Just keep going. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Just keep at it, mate. Um, yeah, <laughs> always. It, it never changes. And that, so you need that's, to find enemies to give you feedback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's always, you know, 10 out of 10. Um, and sometimes we need critical feedback, yeah. um, but people aren't usually um, willing to give that. So you kind of have to solicit it. Um, so the feedback loop is probably the number one thing um, for me personally as a developer. It's funny you mentioned that with the um, the difficulty as well. Uh, when I was doing a little bit of a research for the game, I came across a few forums that were discussing the game and also about um, like spruiking the game. I think you even jumped in on a couple of the threads. Uh, but basically, the general consensus was this game is actually really freaking hard, but totally worth it and full of spoilers. So couldn't actually find a lot of information of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that with Death Hall or was that with uh, another game that you found on the forum? That one was with Death Hall, but I did come across the Wave okay. Wave stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's uh, Even with uh, other games that I haven't made available for sale anymore because either they broke with new versions of iPhones and mm, versions of yeah, iOS okay. and things. Um, with those games as well, I made a, a, a game where you were a little character walking along a set of 2D platforms with a baseball bat hitting baseballs uh, as they come at you and you've got to hit monsters that are um, zombies that are falling out of the sky and they have parachutes and they swing and there's also another monster chasing you. It's just too much. Um, and uh, there was another game before that where it was a simple game where you would leap and try to leap as far as possible, but the control scheme, you needed to touch the screen with like three different fingers at the same time. It's just way too much. Um, and I'd always get the same feedback from family. It's great, keep going. But... <laughs> Uh, when you release the game, you then realize it is too difficult. I haven't thought enough about the player experience. Um, and, uh, yeah, frankly, it's taken me a long time to, to learn um, that part of game design, to, to make it more accessible, really. Uh, that's the key word. Well, I'm very cl- glad you kept at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah it's definitely perfect. Getting there. And it's looking awesome. Mm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, 
Thanks for watching Pixel Switch. If you're watching one of our live platforms, um, we're talking to Thomas Jansen uh, about his game Death Hole, selected uh, for the PAX Australia Indie Showcase for 2019. What, what? Um, it, it all <laughs> it sounds like um, it, it's been a bit of a, a journey of um, of I guess self understanding as you're making this game. Um, is this Absolutely. game finished? Uh, Death Hole is 99% finished. Ooh, okay. uh, 100%. I don't think it will ever get there, but yep. I, I had a plan in place where if the game met a certain number of sales, and it may or may not happen in the future, um, I would commit to doing certain updates, but um, it's it's as finished as it can be. And um, I guess, uh, you know, what's the thing that you've kind of really learnt about the way that you you do game development? What would you do differently for your next title as you're working on something uh, something new uh i would i would start with um it's, it's such a good question there's so many different ways to answer it but i think uh one thing i would do is to um get feedback as soon as i have something playable like immediately um, because as soon as i have something playable that is the core experience um you set the scene you set the characters you set the, the platforms whatever the gameplay is you pretty much just have one action that the player can do um and a game over screen that's it and then get feedback and then from then you can gauge so many things you can gauge uh what people think of the controls what people think of um is it funny does is it memorable will they talk about it again after they've played it when they go away will they mention it to their friends um that's what i would do that's what i would change rather than spending six months working on something toiling away but it might not be right and it's too late to adjust so that's that's the big big thing that I would do. Do you think you'd want to work by yourself again to make this game, or will you be looking to make a you know a team so that you can actually bounce things off other people internally as it's being made? Yep, definitely, hundred um, percent. I don't want to work out of my bedroom uh, or at home in any way, shape, or form ever again. That'd be nice. Because um, I mean, I've been doing that for for ten years, um, just working on side projects, uh, and it is okay. But you know. Variety is the spice of life um, and working with people and changing the environment that I work in, uh, being able to bounce off other people is something of, of uh, not being able, not being able to experience or have not put myself in that situation. Um, I would love to work with other people on a, a new project in the future. Um, one thing that really kind of captured me or when I was p- playing the game is it it really has that feel of a lot of those sort of early uh, flash games, especially the difficulty of it as well. Um, mm. Was that an inspiration for you as you were designing the visuals and, and sort of the gameplay? Uh, it was. Um, I, I used to love playing flash games uh, in high school. Um, I'd run up to the, the library at lunchtime and play all those sorts of games. Newgrounds. Um, I remember, sorry. <laughs> Learning up Newgrounds yeah. at school. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was, and there's like a rite of passage, I think. <laughs> yeah, it really was. Friendships were, were forged in, uh, in, on Newgrounds, pretty much. Um, so it was. Uh, when I started working on Death Hall, I wanted to make um, a simple game, um, but uh, the difficulty not being simple, but the game itself being simple. Um, mm. uh, and I wanted it to be a six-month project so I could finish it quickly, but... You know, I then um, started work in Sydney as a, an animator full time, um, and that blew the the scope of the project out, or blew the, the the time that it would take to finish the project out by quite a lot. Ended up being about three years, um, which is okay. Um, That's fine. You can't rush these but, things, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can't rush it, and I'm so I'm so obsessed, bright, perfect that I just can't help myself. 
Um, but uh, I, I remember thinking it wanted, I wanted it to be simple, but it didn't end up being that. Um, what about the old. style of the art as well? Um, can you tell us a bit like what was some of the visual inspiration behind, uh, behind the visuals of the game? Uh, yeah, that started out being um, pixel art, actually. I started experimenting with pixel art because um, uh, it's such a cool aesthetic and you can get really impactful um, animations and effects um, reasonably quickly, uh, depending on the detail. Um, but then I, I wanted to try something different, so I transitioned into kind of a, a lo-fi um, character designs, which then started to become more high definition because I had so many frames of animation. So it ended up ended up just being a kind of a weird mishmash of different styles uh, until it finally um, until I kind of finalized the the visuals that you see in Death Hall today, which was just uh, me madly trying to finish as many sprites of animation as possible um in limited time um so i don't think the visuals honestly were inspired by by anything it was just kind of ended up being a mishmash um of my weird drawing style <laughs> well it's a yeah. great, it's, it's a very entertaining drawing style i must say i enjoy it immensely yeah. um and I obviously like that's great you've spent a lot of time not only developing this game i'm sure you've spent a lot of time playing it also um what mm-hmm. is your favorite aspect of the game uh, my favorite aspect of the game is that the game encourages the player to run nonstop, and if you do so, and you take uh, you take limited damage, and you never stop running, the game notices this, and uh, if you then die or it's or you reach the end and it's game over, that skill level uh, of the player playing the game is calculated into the final score. So if you never take oh, wow. damage and you you never stop running. Um, even for a tenth of a second, then your score can multiply up to three times. Sweet. So it's a way of encouraging you. Yeah, it's a way of encouraging you to, um, be to, to never stop and to be very <laughs> skillful. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't do anything other than that. There's no like you don't buy lots of different items. There are a couple of items, but um, it's not a, a huge aspect of the game. The the big aspect of the game um, once the player kind of understands what the game's all about and they have to try to get to the end. They notice that uh, there's a haste multiplier on the game end screen um, and then they learn the mechanic of never slowing down, taking little damage and, and playing skillfully. Uh, and I like that, uh, that the discovery that the game is encouraging you to just go nuts and just run forever nonstop <laughs> um, to kind of get into the flow. There, there's that, uh, the, flow, the, the flow state that yeah. some game designers yeah, talk about. Absolutely. Well, Basically it's creativity in general. That. Yeah. 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 Um so it's available on iOS. Uh do you have any plans to extend out to Android for uh, us Android users? Uh at the moment I would love to, but unfortunately I coded the game Objective C, which is Apple's domain. Mm-hmm. Um I used a, a small two D game in Cocos two D. Um uh depending on how the game goes, uh I I would love to, to port it to Android, but we'll have to see. Because I know as soon as you release a game on iOS, you get 10 messages. Is it on Android? Yeah, Is it on Android? <laughs> so uh, I, I'm definitely aware, but uh, we'll have to see. Well, it's a really fun game and you should definitely give it a go. It's something uh, that I've been really enjoying playing. Um, if you're interested in finding out more about it, it's available right now on iOS. You can play it on, it's on an iPad and on, on phone. Um, you can play it vertically. We can play it horizontally, whatever you yeah, prefer. On you. Um, a variety of different controls as well. So you can have buttons on screen or you can have like sort of touchy, almost like, um, you know, 
virtual joystick sort of style controls as well. Um, deathhall.com is where you can find out more information. You can follow Tom at Ghost of Tomby on Twitter. Tom, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. And, and congratulations again on being selected not once but twice for the vaccine yeah. showcase. Yeah. How amazing is that? Yeah. Thank yeah. you for having me. Um, it's been great, been great to talk to you. That's been fantastic. And we'll Thank definitely you. be catching up with you at PAX this year. Yeah, um, that sure. is about all the time we have for the show today. Um, we just heard from deathhall.com, uh, but if people do want to find out more about Death Hall, is that the best place for them to go? Uh, it is. Um, or there's a trailer on YouTube as well that you can uh, easily find by YouTubing Death Hall um, and my Twitter. That's about it. Fantastic. Well, come to PAX and say hello. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Everyone um, come down. Let's say make hello a thing to everyone. Come and say hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you. Try for- and beat the first level. Yeah, absolutely. The dev level. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pixel Sift. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Thomas, and telling us more about Death Hall. Uh, Thank you. This episode has been hosted by myself and Gianni. Big thanks to Gianni. Uh, This episode is produced by myself, Sarah Island, Fiona Bartholomeus, Mitch Lowe, and Gianni Giovanni as our executive producer. We wouldn't be able to make the 130 episodes of Pixel Sift if we didn't have the support of Murdoch University. Go and check them out and tell them we sent you. If you can learn more about a great creative degree, head to murdoch.edu.au slash arts. As always, I'll be sticking in links to the show on our website. Website? <laughs> yeah, that Which one. Which is pixelsift.com.au. Um, as like well, you if you'd know. like to... You know it. You know it by now. But maybe, hey, maybe from this, uh, maybe you don't. Maybe first your first time. Welcome, in. if that's the case. Exactly. We love you. Thank you for coming here. Mm-hmm. Um, Pixelsift.com.au, where you can find out uh, all the show notes for every episode that we post live. You can find videos of some of our new series, like Sarah Survives or Farming Fridays, where you can watch those as well. You can join us on Discord. Uh, we'd love to have you there to talk about the episodes, what you've found out, how you got on board. Um, that's Pixelsift.com dot au forward slash discord uh you share your creative work as well so if you're making something interesting if you're making a game or you want to talk about games or maybe the nintendo direct um you can go to pixelsift.com.au <laughs> forward slash discord that's it our next episode will be on the 19th of september if you join us this time next week on the 12th it'll be pixel sift plays where we play some of the indie games that feature on our show i think that's about all the time we have for this week that's it tell thank your friends you, thank you for joining us we'll catch you next time Thanks, Tom. Thank you.